are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of the show. I'm glad to have you with me, and I trust you are well. I'm doing great and have a wonderful guest for you. It is a conversation that I found extremely inspiring, and I hope you do too. Just before we roll into that, here's a quick update on my activities. We had our tribunal hearing a few days ago where we were seeking a review of Council's decision to refuse our application for a planning permit. It was an interesting experience taking part in a hearing. None of the objectors opted to join the proceedings, which I have to say surprised me. So it was just us against the Council. And the Council had hired a consultant town planner to represent them at the hearing. We had a barrister and called two expert witnesses, a landscape architect and a consulting town planner. One of the key lessons I took away from the hearing was the importance of strategic context and policy support when presenting a proposal to the tribunal. Having the right overarching strategic framework is extremely important to tie into. We think we have that policy support and a good scheme, but time will tell as we await a decision from the tribunal member, which will probably take six weeks. So it's going to be a nervous wait for me. Okay, on to our guest, Nick Bollum. Nick is a Canberra-based property developer who is delivering some amazing projects that are helping to regenerate some rundown parts of the city. Nick has a slightly different pathway into developing, and this background is what helps drive his approach to projects. A couple of the projects we discussed have since been completed, so check out Nick's Facebook or Instagram feeds to have a look at them. I think they look amazing. In this conversation, we cover how design-led projects can generate media interest and attract buyers, where you can look to find inspiration for your projects, and how Nick tries to stand out from the crowd. Now, the sound quality of this interview is not as high as I usually like, as we had some technical issues. However, stick with it as Nick shares some absolute gold with us. As usual, I started off by asking Nick what food he would eat until he was sick. Uh, I would eat cheese toasties, and it has to be variations of cheeses, but cheese toasties for life for me, 100%. You sound like a guy who would have a very specific kind of cheese that he likes to have on his toasty, Nick. Oh, no. Again, like, I love so much cheese. Like, I, I, I couldn't pick one, but you said one thing and it was cheese, so that's the whole family of cheeses. <laughs> so, well, any, any cheese and toasty, I think that's fair. Well, there's something special about melted cheese. I don't know what it is, but it works on pretty much everything. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm addicted, and, I'm, and like I said, if I could have cheese toast, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be missing out on anything else. <laughs> well, Nick, we're here today to talk about your developing, and you've got a really interesting pathway into projects, and you're doing some really interesting stuff. So can you share with us how you got into property development? Yeah, um, so basically, um, my dad's a builder. And from an early age, a young boy, he'd take me to his building sites and kind of, he wanted me to be this builder, like, with him. And I actually, like, ran away from that because I, I totally hate, I didn't want nothing to do with it. And I, I went and studied fashion and I studied graphic design and multimedia. And years later, <clears throat> he's, he was in Canberra. I was living, I, I mean, I studied in Melbourne and moved to Sydney. Um, I came back and I saw this um, area in Canberra, which had a street strip, and it was old mechanics and petrol stations. And the area... Um, inspired me and, and attracted me to retail and opening and activating retail and all sorts of things that I've picked up from Melbourne and Sydney. And 
I spoke to my father, which is Ivan, and um, told him about all these buildings. And I mean, it was a, it was all for lease in a rundown area, so the buildings were quite well priced. And so we purchased a few, and I activated retail spaces. And um, in one of the old tyre warehouses, we created the Montreal Street Traders, which was a bunch of pop-ups, um, designers, and it was all about activating retail in that area. And then there was another tyre place, which was the Hamlet, which was food trucks. I bought food trucks there and offered low rents to activate these people. So, I mean, these were people that, you know, want to have dreams and, and products but didn't have the capital to invest in, you know, a five-year lease. So it created them to have a bigger fan base, and that's how we're getting bigger and, and needed more space. I looked at these old buildings, and they were awful architecture and built, um, brick buildings really badly made from the 80s. And thought about designing and making new buildings and bringing, bringing another, you know, side to the street of people living in that street. Cause this was, there was no apartments or, or, um, anything available to live in on the street. It was all just one story mechanics. So, um, I spoke to my father, which was a builder and, and we sat there and we just started the whole process and it, it became a journey of the first building, which was called Ori, which are based on origami, um, and creating these little, micro cities of having retail and activation downstairs and apartments upstairs. So um, creating foyers that were a bit unusual, not just a foyer to an apartment, but creating little caves of retail that um, you'd have to walk past to get to the elevator to go up to your apartment. So, you know, morning to night, there was different activation of people walking in, people visiting. So it creates, you know, these interesting buildings and that ignited this passion towards developing and creating amazing buildings and doing something different. So that's where it all started. So I, I found the passion of, again, not being the builder that my father wanted me to exactly be. But, um, yeah, doing these exciting developments. And so that's always been a bit of a focus for you, hasn't it, having these smaller independent outlets on the commercial floor? Yeah, well, to me, yeah, like I, like I said, I, I like seeing a building have life from, you know, 6 in the morning to, you know, or 24 hours it changes its activity. So, you know, it starts off, you know, you have the retail and you walk down from your apartment, you've got your coffee shop there, you know, there's some stores, there might be nuts up, whatever. Um, and, you know, then at night as businesses kind of close down, these arcades, well, caves or whatever you want to call them, are foyers to their apartments. They're not just like a door with an elevator. People that come and visit these people have these, you know, shops, and they're like walking through a little laneway or a mall. And then um, it gives the retail space more. Um, I can't think of the word. I've gone blank. Uh, exposure. Sorry, it, they, they're exposed to a different market, and people see them, and it just creates a building. It, it just has interest, and I mean, that was that was exciting to me as a retailer, and now turning into a developer seeing how they all work together and how you can make a building not just be flat and just one door and uh, intercom. <laughs> well, good, yeah, good on you for pushing the boundaries and trying to make things more interesting. Well, yeah, it's, I, I mean, like I said, I, I, doing the whole retail thing and, and then looking at the excitement of a building and then, you know, you focus on the people that want to live above these shops and, you know, you, you then you go out and look for those people. You know, people want a butcher. You go find a cool independent butcher, and then it's just listening to the people and the people, uh, the customers that you create these apartments for. 
And what other projects do you have in the pipeline? I think you've got a couple that are about to come to market or close to finishing planning. I'm completing Palco and Nebu um, a, a week from completion. So um, all you know, people that have bought their pumps and sold out um, can start moving in and the retail spaces will start their fit out. Um, and then I've, I'm starting um, Yamarashi and Blanks. Um, the, 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 just starting to dig in Yamarashi and Blanks will start in the next few months. Okay, that's exciting. And with people that are moving in, do you do anything special or as part of the moving in process, is there anything you do for the new residents? Fantastic. Tell us, tell us what it's like developing in Canberra in terms of getting approvals or uh, the market. So why do you think the councils have changed their thinking around what's acceptable? Because I think they've seen the activation and the interest and they've seen, um, I mean, like Lonsdale Street, which is the street that I've been developing, um, and the Hamlet and the Traders have created interest from, you know, Monocle Radio, um, New York Times. We had a Hong Kong um, TV station with 40 million viewers come and film on the street of the Hamlet. So I think the government's seen this activation, which they've been trying to activate for a long time, and it doesn't work. And they see independent um, developers and businesses doing it. And, and so I think they've opened, they've opened their eyes and see, like, you know, what we've been doing has been very, you know, sterile, and you know, it, it, it's not, it, it's not, it hasn't been speaking to people. Where now they've seen this and they've kind of realised that their laws. Have 
councils always move slower than what you want them to. And I think it's fantastic that you're helping to break the mould or to dispel the myth that property developers are all just big bad people only interested in money and not interested in helping weave an interesting social fabric or a design fabric in an area. Yeah, well, I think the challenges make it exciting. I mean, if it was all too easy, you kind of lose your passion, don't you? So it keeps that energy and that fire alive, so I like it. Um, so, you know, I guess it keeps you motivated, so it's good. And so who do you look to for support in terms of consultants to help bring that vision to life? I would Obviously, an architect or a building designer is pretty key to that. How do you go about finding those people? I, I keep... I, to be honest, I, I don't work with many people. I like, I'm very, like, I do a lot of things myself, especially like the interiors and the concepts and a lot of the design and the sketches. And then I work closely with um, Nathan Judd, which is my architect. And I've kept, I mean, we have a, such a great relationship and we sit there and we um, experiment and, and, and look at the whole design together. And we've been doing that for 10 years now with all the buildings. So we keep it really simple. And personal and like just a few of us, we, I don't go out there doing too much of the planning, uh, using too many planners and that at all. We just kind of work it ourselves and keep it really independent and local. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, I guess that's why um, a lot of the planners do like it. We sort of sit there and, and uh, we go into, I mean, ACT planning, I mean, we go in there and it's just us and it's a personal thing and we're, and they can see that we're passionate because it's coming straight from us. It's not like another group that's come in and doing it for us. And what challenges have you faced along the way bringing your buildings to reality? Sometimes the challenges were, like I said, basically planning. But, I mean, you, you keep pushing and, you, keep, you know, it keeps moving and each step gets better every single time and then they become easier and more open. The biggest challenge was that recently I bought um, an old bowling club right near the city and I wanted, wanted to create a hotel and kind of like a function centre, a pool and a great little entertainment and sports place for everybody. But the surrounding suburb was the biggest challenge because a lot of people, there's still a lot of people in Canberra that don't like this change because they've been used to this bush capital, you know what I mean? So they all rallied and went out on a witch hunt to me doing a mixed-use precinct, even though it was like one-minute walk from the city, they wanted to, it to remain a suburb. So I guess the biggest challenge is for, you know, the local residents that don't want change and that will rally and write to government and will protest against you. And even though I did a consultation process with them to ask them and show them what I'm doing and not be like a developer, just went out there with my plan, do you know what I mean? I wanted to speak to the surrounding suburbs, so I'm sensitive to what they wanted as well, but they just went crazy. So that, that was a challenge, and in the end, none of them wanted to see this precinct in their area, so I guess I, I let them vote what they wanted to see, and they voted townhouses, so it still works for me, you know what I mean? The better profit margin of those building townhouses where I was going to do something a bit more experimental and public, but I guess that, I guess some of that, um, some of the people that are Change are a big challenge. Yes, well, I don't, uh, it, I don't know how it works in Melbourne, but in Canberra, like if people do start writing and, and um, going against your designs and plans, they do hold a bit of power. I don't know if Melbourne's got the same but, um, kind of. Yes, can it, you get 
Yes, they they do and they have. I'm going through that at the moment, Nick, where our latest proposal got voted down by the local councillors because all the locals are up in arms about what was being proposed, even though it was quite acceptable next to the planning controls in the area. So we're now having to go to VCAT to get that decision reviewed. Okay, so similar. Very, so, yeah, very similar. reckon you learnt through that 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 sort of objection or the people not being supportive of what you wanting were wanting to do? Well, I, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't basically, I didn't learn anything from it because I did it the right way. I consulted them prior. I didn't just turn up like a normal developer would have just gone ahead and done their plans and then had the objection. I actually sat down and wanted them to meet and, and talk and, you know, go through the process. So I gave them the opportunity and then I gave them the voting right. Like I said, well, okay, you guys are upset. Well, then vote and tell me what you'd like to see on your site. And the, and the weird thing is, which kind of, uh, is a bit hypocritical, but a lot of these people sit there saying developers just want to develop apartments and townhouses and they're overcrowding and blah, blah, blah. Here I was trying to create something different and then yet they voted me to be, to build townhouses. So, uh, I, 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 it's just sad, like, you know, some people don't want to see that development and change um, and want it to stay the same. But I, I, I didn't learn anything from that. I just, I guess I just saw that um, some people just won't budge and just, they just want to be that little, you know, person that sits and doesn't want to change and want to stop anything. They just don't want to open up their eyes to any development. Yeah. It can be very challenging trying to get new projects off the ground, particularly when there's a lot of change going on. I mean, in a city like Melbourne, there's growing population. So residents in lots of different areas are feeling the pressure of more people moving in and more buildings being built. So that level of change makes people anxious. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That makes me excited, but I don't know why people get anxious about it. Like, I mean, these people live a minute from the city. If you... You know, it's it's common sense. Like you know, things get more, you know more population, more business. Like things happen. You know, so if you want a quieter life, I would. I, I, you know, if I personally wanted a quieter life, I'd go further into the suburbs. I don't know, but anyway, people, you can't make everybody happy, and I've learned that bit, I suppose. So I just have to turn every negative into a positive. So I guess they didn't like that proposal and concept. So. And then tell me how you go about planning the stock that you're going to build. So not so much the commercial part of it, but the residential part. You're talking about how I go about putting together the design for the apartments and the building? Yeah, in terms of what kind of stock would you build? How do you know what the market wants? Brandon, like I said, is in a city, so usually you get the area between 25 to 40, say. So I just look at technology, what's happening in pop culture. I look at the, the, the customer that I'm going to be attracting to and 
a retail store. So I got that valuable information about what type of customer I had. So I guess I create, you know, open spaces that are adaptable. A lot of people, like, you know, in a city have bikes and I, I give them a lot of storage. They like to travel. So you, you have to have that sort of whole, you look at their lifestyle and, and, and create nice areas around that. I suppose, like, they love entertaining and I focus on those kind of things and, a lot of these people today too are set up with the, you know, a lot of the developments that have given the cheap, nasty, you know, carpet and cheap kitchens where they they know about brands and they, you know, they know about good quality products. So I, I you know, I use Astra Walker Tupperware. I use uh, Miele appliances. I, I, you know, so it gives them some excitement. So and and I give them the option to uh, change their apartments a little bit so not everyone has a stock standard same apartment. Do you know what I mean? I, get, I get, give them a little bit of creativity so they can choose materials. They can have a leather cladded wall. They can have a felt cladded wall. Some, you know, if they wanted a fireplace, it's an option. And, you know, like, it's kind of like spe- uh, specking a car, I suppose. You know, when you can buy a car and you can add things if you want or you can just have it like, you know, you can have the base model. And do you find that tricky to manage in terms of all the different variations? Um, at the start, the first time I did it, yes, it was like, oh, wow, what have we opened up? But like anything, the first time you do something, you learn, or you know, you make a few mistakes and you learn how to manage it. And now it's become part of the, your, you know, setup and who you are. So it just, it just comes natural now and you just kind of know how to manage it. But yeah, the first, the first time we did it, yeah, it was like, oh, wow, and, and the builder was like, Jesus, what? <laughs> they had this whole list and they were getting confused and we'd sit there for a day doing that combination with this one means that. And it became like this crazy formula for each apartment had to be, was almost different. But I mean, the end result right now, all the buyers are coming through and they're like, you know, so excited and amazed. They're like, this is the best. You know, they love it. And that's what you want. And I've noticed a few, I've got a few little, few investors that have been buying now and they follow each of my developments and they'll just buy two in each one. You know what I mean? Straight away because they know what they're going to get and they know that it's going to be interesting and they just follow you. Kind of like a little fan base. They kind of, they'll just buy two apartments and then everything you do. The eight real estate agent comes to me and says, this buyer, this buyer, just straight away. Every time you do something, they just want to have two. Like, you know, and one is in Noosa, one's actually in uh, Melbourne. So they just follow you. So it's good. It's always nice when you can have repeat customers, Nick. Yeah, no, but that's, that's, what I, that's what I love. And I guess you get the repeat customers when, you, when they're happy and satisfied. So that's what, that's what I strive for. I, I, and, and I love quality and attention to detail. So that's what we try and put in every single building, like the best we can, and keep each building interesting. Yamarashi is a very interesting building. It's challenging, but I'm excited that it's a challenging building. And of course, when you do something a bit more exciting, So is that a compromise you're just prepared to wear, the the loss of margin for the satisfaction of doing something special?
you know, favorite artists. Like, I love Gaudi, I love Dali, I love a lot of art and fashion and design and that whole background and a lot of it without sacrifice. And and it's, it's got to do with, yeah, you're not, you don't make the same margin. But what you're creating is an amazing product. And I get some people who are not interested in that, which to me is like, well, then why are you doing what you're doing? Like, I've seen some buildings complete and they, uh, there's one close by to some of the stuff I've been doing. I won't mention names or anything. But it looks like something from, I don't know, early 80s. And that kind of maybe had no planning or architects even involved and someone just built it. It was just really bad. And I don't know how you can look at that and just be proud of what you've done. And I know you have to make a profit, otherwise you're not going to continue. But I, I think you can learn <coughs> to do both and make them work in harmony. And you might not make that extra whatever, but what you've done is created a fan base that will follow you. Like I said, you'll gain that and get guaranteed sales every single time because they love what you're doing. So, you know, I'd rather have a sold-out building than have, like, 20 still sitting there and hanging around. And so how do you go, then, with the planning for your projects? How many do you like to have in the pipeline? How, how far ahead do you plan on doing things? Share that with us. Well, because I get bored quickly, I'd like to have, like, at least, you know, five happening. And I like, I like keeping in boutique size. I don't want to do, like, too large scale. I, I mean, I love the 60 apartment module for me because I feel like you can create a bit more intimacy in a smaller building. So five five running projects at a time is good um, for me. I, I think that's perfect, and you can give them perfect attention. I think when you go larger, you start losing, you know, that attention to detail. So and yeah. how do you, and how do you track and manage those? Do you have staff? Oh yeah, we have an office, but we have an office of staff, so they they kind of do all the you know paperwork and uh, manage all all the buildings and and correspondence between, you know, the builder, builder, us, and everybody. So, yeah, I mean, we have a team that does all that, but, I mean, I, I'm more out doing, you know, with the architects, the design, picking the inclusions. I, I still want to be doing all that. But I do, like, I do like working not with too many people. I just I keep it simple, and I like, like I said, I keep it uh, boutique development, and so that's why it's, I like to, it's a smaller kind of thing for me. Like, I don't, I don't want to get, the bigger you get, the more loss, you know, you, you lose that contact and that touch and that personal, being personal with that building. So every building is kind of me right now because I kind of sit there and I really get into it, you know, from this little detail to the outside to the start to even the landscaping. I even pick the plants. So uh, I just, I love keeping it that way because that's what got me involved, uh, interested in being a, a developer. So if it got to like a, you know, 20 story building with, hundreds of units and it became like doing those and you don't you don't have that intimacy with the project i think i'd be bored i probably wouldn't do it that's me but i'd rather have five projects of 60 going um than doing one building of you know 300 apartments and do you use the same builder on each of the projects no i i mean most 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 of the times i do but i do like to switch it up so i mean and also Sometimes, you know, when you've got a few buildings, like I said, a few of them going and they're busy doing it, some other projects and you've got one started. <laughs> I, so I maybe I use two, two kind of like, you know, to bounce it up. Also, I think it's good. It keeps them on their toes. If you, if you stick 
yes, a bit complacent. Yeah, and then the prices slowly go up higher and higher. Don't <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very, very so common. You, so if you show them that you've got someone else there too, they know to keep it real with you and, and that kind of respect is good, you know? But um, otherwise, when I've noticed when I've worked with one person for a while, it slowly goes higher and higher and higher and the work gets, starts getting lazier, you know? So having two is a good, a good balance for me. And do you have to sell the residential stock off the plan? Do I have to? Yeah. No, but we do. We do, we put we pre-sale. We do pre-sale. Do you use local agents to help you with that? Yeah, we use local agents for the sales. We work with LJ Hooker, so they sell all the apartments off. Okay. And they do the pre-sale, and sometimes we'll keep half on completion so people can see that. We had such popular demand for the last two that they sold out before we, like, it's not even, I mean, it's finishing up in one, in a week, so they all sold. That's fantastic. And so yeah. I was going to ask you where you get your inspiration from, but you, it sounds like you're looking at art and fashion for ideas. Yeah, well, every building has, like, Yamarashi is uh, based on a possessed vegetable greater god. So if you look at the building, it's got a bit of a manga, manga flair. Um, but then I have a, I really have a high, you know, love and appreciation for the Scandinavian designer. So I string that back and give it a nice minimalistic design approach. Like it doesn't, it's not, it's not, um, themed or comical or anything. <laughs> um, but every building I like to put a basis on some, something that I love or has inspired me. Like I said, maybe was my interest in Egypt, uh, Yamarashi, is the Japanese culture. And then the Bronx is a bit more gritty and it has a bit of a Bronx kind of warehouse feel, a bit theatrical. So, yeah, and I, I like to put my favourite photographer or a favourite, you know, musician in, as inspiration into the building. Like, Bronx has a bit... Bronx, I looked at um, Sesame Street. <clears throat> so... Yeah, they kind of have interesting little back, back stories, which probably, like, to most developers will probably like, be like, what the hell, Sesame Street, a possessed vegetable greater God, like, what the hell is style? <laughs> <laughs> I promise, I promise I'm all natural, I just drink whiskey. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to have visions of uh, future development, Nick, where you're not only doing the design of the building, but you're also doing the fashion designing for people and filling out their wardrobes with all the clothes they're meant to wear in the buildings. To be honest, I really would love to do that because some of the people that buy my apartments and they come to the display say, I'm overlooking them, and I'm like, you really? That kind of design <laughs> I'm thinking we'll that see. could be one of your, the variation options, a package, a fashion package that you can <laughs> yeah. uh, offer buyers. The wardrobe, the wardrobe package, yeah. <laughs> well, we know. <laughs> you um, know where, where the department will go. <laughs> uh, and now that you've mentioned it, what sort of uh, whiskey do you like to drink? I love the Japanese whiskeys, Hideki, and um, I don't know what I need to say, Yamazaki. I mean, we said Yamashi, the name of our building. There you go. So, so there you 
can see the name Yanashi and Yanazaki working together. So, you know, we inspired that. Um, <laughs> You're the second guest in as many weeks I've spoken to who's mentioned Yamazaki Japanese whiskey. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to go out um, and find a bottle of it now. You need to go get some, and you'll come up with a new building that's kind of like inspired by some weird sea creature or something. <laughs> Oh, well, keep keep your eyes out for my next uh, next scheme. See what it looks like. <laughs> now, Nick, tell me, what do you reckon, or what have you learnt about yourself along the journey? I don't know. I've always find that question really weird. I, I guess like I'm living and I'm experiencing, and I guess I don't know. I don't. I've never been able to answer that question. I've been learning. I just I look at it as in I'm living this experience and, and this journey and, and doing all this sort of thing, um, along the way, I don't know. I can't answer that. Well, have you, do you think you'd be, you're more resilient than you thought? You're more creative than you expected? No, I've always, I, I've always been straight, uh, confident in my creativity. I kind of don't, I, I kind of keep it personal, so I don't, I don't really, I don't really care what that person thinks of my creativity or, so I've been strong like that my whole life. Like, I've never really cared. I do it for me. And, I don't know, uh, learning, I, I, I guess I've learnt, the only thing I've learnt is the negative side of how people can be narrow-minded and stuff and not want to see development or not want to see something exciting or not be supportive. So I guess that just kind of it, well, taught me, yeah, like not everyone is passionate about this sort of thing or change or design or, you know, you will have some a valuer come there and just not even look at the quality of the building but just a square metre and that disheartened me and I was like, so you look at, you know, 100 square metres, there's 100 square metres and this is a, a dollar value to it but you're not looking at what makes that 100 square metres, do you know what I mean? So I just, I just, I guess I learnt what some, I guess that's the only part I learnt is looking at some of the negative sides of how people look at building or like from, like I said, the planning, the, the valuers or the people that live around and surrounding that don't want to see change. So I've probably just seen this nasty side and I guess that I never thought that I would see that. So I guess that opened my eyes to that. I don't know if Melbourne has the same thing too with valuation, but Canberra has a very weird approach to it. And so do the real estate agents, you know. They're becoming more popular now with people having home-based businesses, having side businesses. Valuations are always a, a, a an element of frustration for developers. I think, Nick. Yeah, like I love I love the 
the challenge and the debate and the argument. It's good to keep it going. Like I said, again, you have to have that fire. And I guess that's where you learn when things like that surprise your ideas. And tell like me... When, an, when a real estate agent will tell me to stick a study nook at the top of a staircase that's facing a wall that's in complete pitch black, and it will add value. And I'm like, oh, really? Why? That's so weird. That's a weird place to put it, but they want you to do it. And you're like, no. I was going to ask you, so what do you do in a situation like that? Do you stick to what you think is it. best? I, I don't usually do it unless there's a buyer that really wants it there, but if the agent tells me to do it, I don't usually do it. And tell me, what's what's your old man think of the projects that you're doing? I think he was at start, I think, at skating. <laughs> I think he was, because, you know, he was a bit more of a traditional builder. And... Um, yeah, so but he's loving him now because he sees that they get a lot of press and attention and, you know, Qantas magazine has written about it, Virgin Airlines, but he constantly gets press and, and the local papers and some of the Sydney ones. So I think when he's seen that they've created such interest and people are loving them, at the first I think he thought I was going a little bit crazy. But, no, he he's, he loves them now. He's, he's kind of, like, relaxed and, and trusts trust my decision that, I guess that, like, where the inspiration comes from. I guess he's a traditional old man that had, like, looked at building, you know, bricks, uh, you know. Four walls and a roof. Yeah, yeah, like, and he built them like that, and that's what he looked at. And then to put a price, and there's no marketing, there's no branding, there's no nothing. Do you know what I mean? Where now there's a whole different, you know, there's people, you know, throwing parties in apartments, you know, to launch them, and doing all sorts of interesting stuff. It's kind of changed and the internet and, you know, it's a different, it's a different time. But, I mean, he loves it. He's, he's open to it now. It scared him at the start because it took him to a different place. But now it's good. And tell me, what's it like getting that external validation to what you're doing when you're getting all this incredible attention and praise for the projects that you're doing? Well, that's what I mean. Like, if you build a plain box building, it doesn't get attention, right? But this is why my thing, this is why I think a lot of developers should, like, do something exciting, push the boundaries, don't look at it just, I mean, obviously you have to make profit, but try and push a boundary and do something different that grabs your, this attention. And, I mean, some of the buildings, I haven't even had to do much marketing or pay for advertising to sell them because it's received like 20 free write-ups and, it's, like I said, Qantas magazine or something has picked it up and it's given me free promotion, which then has given interest. And then the real estate agent is like, oh, we got a call from blah, 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 and they saw it here. So what I'm saying is creating interesting buildings and doing something exciting creates that energy and, and it, gives you, it gives you everything back. It might not give you that extra, you know, whatever, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever. You're going to lose profit by doing something a little bit more. But it gives you a longer-term investment of people that follow you because you're all big press. I don't know. I mean, it's not important to some people. That's fine. <laughs> but to me, it's cool. Like, I like seeing a building that gets that attention because not many people look at an apartment building and, and stare at it and go, wow, that's a nice building. Today, people just look at apartments and they just see, you know, four walls, like, like we said, boring buildings. Yeah, well, I think it, it takes a bit of courage to be different, Nick, so I take my hat off to you for putting it out there. It's, I, don't, yes, I don't think it's courage, sir. I just think people just need to stop being 
lazy. What, just going for the easy option? Yeah, so I'm saying money, I know money is a motivator, but I think people need to not be so lazy and, and put, put a bit more of a story behind each development. Well, that's my advice anyway. Some people will be like, shut up, you know, I just want to make money. And that's fine, that's fine. But I just feel like it's sad and it, there's a lot of lost opportunities in lots of places in Australia where they have a great site across a beautiful park and then they put this monstrosity like staring right at it. Like, to me, it's like, what a lost opportunity. Let, let's talk to that park. Let's give it some light. Let's put a beautiful restaurant, cafe space downstairs and, uh, you know, a nice life above it. Sometimes you see these places, I'm like, why can't I have that site, you know? They've got the opportunity to do something amazing there and they just put blah there, you know what I mean? <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about this idea of building a story or creating a story around the projects. What's what's your thinking around that? Well, to me, it's like look at look at your location, and when you've got a location, and and like I said, there's a park or there's a beach or whatever it's like. Think about that those surrounds, and and, and let that inspire you, and and the people that will live there, and people that will pay to live in that space, and. And then think of a story like, you know, I don't know, wherever, whatever your background might be, is there a certain architect that you love or a, a designer or an artist? And, and, and let that influence your work too and, and let it inspire you. And again, you can do, you know, the people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's money. Yeah, but you can do both. You can make money and you can make something interesting. Obviously, if you're going to cloud a whole building in real brass, you're going to be in a problem, right? But think about, okay, we can add some real elements here, we can manipulate this and add a nice facade, it's okay, oh, we lost, that's going to cost an extra 300000 but oh well, it, it, that's what it costs, but it creates something and then you're proud of your work and you made money and that feels so much better than just making money and then having people look at a building going, wow, that's ugly. That's important to me. I don't know, I'm not, I would never like force that on other people, but I really would love if a lot of people got a little less lazy and got a little bit more excited, you know, because you hear people fly to Spain and Europe and go, oh, I saw Gaudi's building, it's so amazing, right? And then they come back here and they build something so awful and it's like, you flew, like, the whole planet to see an amazing building built by Gaudi and then you come back and just don't care. That's sad to me. And so what's, what's in the future then, Nick? Where, paint me a picture of some of the future projects you're going to do because I suspect you've got some visions of amazing buildings. Uh, well, I'd love to come and start doing some in Melbourne. Like we've bought some properties, so I'd like to start investigating Melbourne because I started, that's where I studied fashion, so I'd like to do some interesting projects in Melbourne. But I'd like to take um, buildings and, and start creating a little bit more of a different concept behind them, give them a bit more of like apartment buildings, meet hotels, meet commercial space. So you, you're living in a more, for people that want a bit more activity in a building than just apartment. And I'd love to take, um, I know I've got a whole uh, retail background, I'd love to bring some um, commercial retail activities based on multi-levels, not just always the ground floor. I'd like to break some of those things. Yes, I, I, love, I, love, I want to push more the mixed-use building, kind of sometimes not even have apartments in there and it's a full commercial fun building with lots of different uses in there. There's so, much, uh, there's so many things I want to do, it's crazy. But um, yeah, but Melbourne's one that I'd like to come to soon. Maybe it'll start 
next year. So I'll start doing more down in Melbourne. Oh, well, I look, I look <laughs> forward to seeing some of your projects coming to life in Melbourne. Well, I think that, that's that's an exciting proposition, Nick. And tell me, how do you go? How do you go about pulling putting your projects together? Do you get an idea and then find investors, or do you find investors and then do a project? How, how do you go about it? Well, we do our own pro- like we, we we don't have investors. We do our own projects. When you say pulling them together, from what do you mean? Oh, do you get an idea and go, right, I want to do this in, a, in Melbourne? Start, no, it usually starts with finding a cool piece of land or uh, old building or something. It, it starts from there. Like I said, I drove past that old mechanic thing and I thought, oh, wow, I saw a food truck village to activate the space while I planned a cool building. Like It starts like that for me. And then we purchase the land go to the architect, we work out, you know, how many can we get there to, you know, pay for an exciting facade and make it exciting. So it's not all like that. And then, I mean, we do our own projects. We don't have investors. Okay, that's good. Yeah. And if you could go back or if you had to go back and start all over again, what do you think you would do differently? Mm, no, I'm kind, kind of happy with where I'm, I'm happy with the journey so far. So I don't think I'd do... I probably would have bought um, more land earlier in the street that I I made really busy, and now you know you could buy a building there for four hundred thousand, and now they're like twelve million. So <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel that. So, Nick. I, kind of, so I kind of feel like ah, oh, like I made I, I made the I've made the area up in value, so, so I should have purchased more of it at that time rather than like let it happen now. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's good. It, it's a good thing. But that's probably it. <laughs> And what do you reckon you've given up or sacrificed to get where you are today? Uh, I haven't sacrificed anything because I love doing what I do, so I don't think it's a sacrifice. The only thing I sacrificed at the start was leaving my life, or living in Sydney to come to Canberra at, at like 12 years ago, which was a very different place than it is now, and it was very quiet and non-exciting to, to activate this sort of street and do something new. But I guess uh, when I look at it, it wasn't a sacrifice, it was a challenge which excited me, so... I don't think I sacrificed anything because I love what I do. So, no, I haven't sacrificed anything because it's been happy and good. Well, I think that's the right frame of mind to have is that you love what you're doing and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, it doesn't. No, it's exciting. What tip would you have for other developers who are listening who would be looking to take their business to the next level or maybe are inspired by you to try something different? I just think I, I, I would love... You know, like I said, every building to me is like a tale of a city. So I'd love to see personality of every different developer in, in a building. Get, get, put more influence into your architect and get involved. And it's your building. So you love something, put it in there and make it, make, you know, make these buildings show your personality, your character. We talk to some of these people, they're exciting, right? And then we'll look, and, and I'm not saying in a build, but then you look at the building, it's very simple and boring. Is that you? Like, is that who you are as a person? Like, this, I don't know. I think, like I said, be less lazy and take some challenges and, and leave something behind that you can look back and go, wow, I did that. And it's amazing. I've created something. I've, I've put a piece of art in the landscape because that's how we should be doing it. Like I said, we, we all look at, two, at these amazing classic buildings and 
that's it got attention. It's not just the, how many times do you look at the building that's just like I said, like just playing? Never. So that's my only thing is like I'd like to see that excitement put into development and do create these micro cities, I suppose that's what I call them, and and put some personality and not be lazy. I think that's very good advice. Now, uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward now to asking you this question after the discussion that we've had. If you could sit oh, no. down for dinner with any three people, alive or dead, who would they be and why? Okay, so that I have so many people I want to have for dinner. So I'd love a massive big dinner party for this question. <laughs> but for right now, the three people that I'll be on my table of 100 guests, I'm on this side of the table with the three that I'm having a conversation <laughs> right now, but this is what I need for inspiration right now. I bring Zaha Hadid back from the dead because she is my idol and she's my favorite architect and I just, I'd love to get into that lady's mind and, and just speak to her. She's like a god to, like coming to this planet and being able to have her designs and, and I wish it, I think Melbourne's getting one of her buildings. So that's exciting. I wish we had more of her buildings built um, here in Australia. And like I said, there's so many interesting people, but also I'd have, I, I love Norm Architects. They're a bunch of a design crew architects. They do interiors, objects, industrial design up in Copenhagen. So I'd love to sit down and chat to them. They, they have quality and um, timeless design, so it'd be good to talk to them and have a whiskey. And like, oh my God, there's so many people. And then there's musicians, but Right now, I'm, um, I'm talking to this guy that does, his name's Philip Lowe, and he's a sculpt, he does beautiful sculptures out of perspex and color, and just his form, and they're so simple and beautiful. I'd love to talk to him and, and just maybe create a building together. Yeah, and there's too many guests at this party. It's driving my mind crazy, <laughs> but those three, I'm, I'm at this side of the table now, so I'm not going to be rude. I'll take those three right now. <laughs> I've got a feeling a party that you throw would be a pretty good affair, Nick. No, they're pretty fun, so that's what I mean. I can't just have three people over for dinner. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thanks so much for sharing your ideas and your inspiration. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Where can people find out more about you or Bollum Group? Um, well, at the moment, I've got, well, I'm reworking our website to put all our new projects and giving it a new branding, and that's so... Um, it, you know, at the moment we're on Facebook at Bullum Group on Facebook and on Instagram. But yeah, we're reworking our website, which will be our name as well. So that's probably it at the moment. All right. Yeah. So people can go and check out your Facebook and Instagram feeds if they're interested in the work that you're doing. Yes, you can see a lot of the projects that we've spoken about on there: Palco, Nibu, Ori, Yamarashi, and the Branks. Fantastic. So far on there. Awesome. Well, Nick, it's been really great talking with you. I've found it really inspirational hearing about what you're doing and the approach that you're taking to development. I really take my hat off to you. I think it's really exciting. Thanks for having me, and I enjoy speaking to you too. That sounds good, and I'd like to, yeah, when I come to Melbourne, it'd be good to catch up and see what you do too. It would be fantastic. So, Nick, thanks for being on the Property Developer Podcast. Thank you. Bye. Okay, there you go. I found my conversation with Nick really inspiring because here is a guy following his heart and delivering some really amazing projects. He's being driven not solely by commercial imperatives, 
but a desire to create something special and leave a design legacy in the area, and I really admire that. Here are three points I took away from our chat. One, inspiration is a great pathway to follow. Staying inspired will keep you growing and keep the fire burning. Following your love and inspiration, you will remain fired up and interested, and then I think it is inevitable that you will leave a mark on the design fabric of an area. Follow your heart and do what you love and love what you do, and you will deliver projects that will inspire you and leave a legacy you can be proud of. And what can be more fun than working on an inspirational project? Two, interesting design is a way to attract buyers. As Nick said, he attracted international media interest because his buildings were different and interesting. If you can stand out from the crowd, you will generate buyer interest. But be aware that you will also attract detractors and critics. Having an interesting design is a great way to influence and shape the character of an area. And you can find ideas in art, fashion, graphic design, music, and much more. And as Nick beautifully said, put a piece of art in the landscape. Three, find a good story for your project. We've talked about finding a story a few times before on the show, but having a link to the local area or the history of the site is a great way to develop an emotional connection to your project. I've mentioned this a few times before, but humans love good stories. Nick offered some suggestions on how you can create a story for your project, including looking at the history or drawing on your interest in music, artists, cultural icons, or other things that excite you. They can all provide an inspiration for a story. Okay, that's just about it for episode 38. Thanks again to Nick for sharing plenty of inspiration with us. Do go and check out his Facebook and Instagram feeds to have a look at the buildings that he's producing. I think they look fantastic. If you enjoyed that chat, you may like to revisit a couple of past episodes with property developers who are doing great things. There was episode 18 with Brendan Ansell, who has since taken his company public, and episode 27, where I talk with Canadian developer Dan Barona. You can find all the past episodes of the show at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com, and you can see all my latest property development photos and videos on Instagram at Property Developer Podcast. So, until next time, may all your projects leave you feeling inspired and leave a legacy you can be proud of. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.